0: This podcast is a Tucker Media production. For more information, head to tuckermedia.com.au. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Media Mates podcast. My name's Ralph Tucker. We continue our chats today with members of the ABC Grandstand NRL team who I work with this year. In the last couple of weeks, you've heard from Dean Halitow and Andrew Ryan Today, it's Matthew Elliott's turn. He may have been a serious first grade coach once upon a time, but Matthew brings a lot of fun and quirkiness to the NRL broadcast each and every week on ABC Grandstand. I think you'll find he's a very different man to perhaps the one that you thought you had in mind. If you've listened to any of the stuff that we do throughout the season, you'll hear that as well as being very intelligent and insightful, he's a little bit off the wall. I really hope you enjoy this chat with Matthew Elliott. Matthew Elliott, welcome to the Media Mates podcast. Hi, Ralph. I can't tell you how
1: excited I am to be here sharing a room with you. Looking very (laughs) smick today as well.
0: Oh, my usual standard uniform here. But um, I brought you along to have a chat about, I guess, a a different path to the media to what normal people I, I chat to. So this little series, I've already chatted to Andrew Ryan Dean Hallitow, just about how they've found their time at ABC Grandstand. You've finished now your third year. How's that been for you? It's
1: been fun. It's certainly uh, something that it has demands about it that I didn't recognise would be anything like they are. So after you've done four days of commentary, you're gone. And I uh, would know, For not one second have I ever acknowledged that prior to doing it and I still don't fully understand what's going on there other than on a Monday I've got dribble coming out of the corner of my mouth and I don't want to talk to anyone nor do I want to hear the sound of my own voice.
0: Now that adjustment for you from being a player, being a a coach, I mean obviously throughout your career you would have dealt with a lot of media. What's that transition like going from that side of things to, as you said, being there for four days, in some cases, in a row for a lot of time in a small little space at these grounds that uh, probably aren't really well catered for for the media.
1: I guess the transition, first of all, when you're coaching and obviously did a lot of media stuff, continual media stuff, particularly in the one uh, one team towns like Canberra. Um, but to to be really frank about it, is is that when. It's not your responsibility to come up with a question or provide quality content. You just respond to what someone asks you, and if they ask you a poor question, you're probably going to deliver poor content. But your accountability for it and your care for it's probably not at the highest level. When you actually go to the other side of the microphone and you want to provide people with something entertaining as well as you know trying to give them a greater insight into the sport, which is really you know when you talk to Bobcat and you and you talk to Dean that's our job isn't it really is to give you a little bit of an insight as to what the player is experiencing what the coaches is, is, is experiencing and what are some of the technicalities going on in the game well that that certainly comes initially I remember when I first started doing it probably overdoing that side of things a little bit too much so there is certainly a different um, different premise to everything you do when when you you're actually signed up as a commentator
0: When you were a coach, did you see the media as a necessary evil or was it something that you actually enjoyed doing? If I could sort of just make an observational point, you're one of the coaches that if you went to a media conference, you always had something interesting to say and you were more of a, 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 I guess, a, a giving sort of a coach rather than someone that was closed shop, talking in cliches something that we couldn't get a lot out of. What was your own perception of your role in that area when talking to the media?
1: That evolved, to be honest with you, Ralph. So initially when I started coaching in the UK and when I first came to Canberra, uh, there's a high level of suspicion between players, coaches and the media. And, you know, I've been saying for a while that that needs to be addressed because it's the media that actually funds the game and and provides so much access to our fans.
0: When did that penny drop for you, like... I had a,
1: a confrontation with a, a journalist who wrote something that was not true about me and my personal life and decided that I'd ring up and challenge that journalist and then realized for quite some time after that, there was a lot of negative media coming out about myself. So I had to reframe my approach to it. And really, you know, that's, if journalists just write about footy, they're not going to hold their job. The reality of modern life is, is people want sensational stuff. They want, you know, and it's, and, and I tell footy players, that's that when you sign a contract, that's what you sign up for. You're not a normal member of the community. And so people have more interest in you and they want to hear sensational stuff. So I first of all had to make myself understand is this is how people feed their kids. If you're a journalist and you want to feed your kid out of being a journalist, you have to, that's something that you have to become involved in. So I, that changed everything for me, that single premise. One is is that having conflict with someone doesn't work um, because that just becomes who's going to win the conflict. And then also understanding is, that hey, look, give these people something, be respectful because this is how they feed their families or pay their mortgages or yeah. pay for their Friday night out, whatever it is that journalists want to do with it. So my attitude toward it changed very much then and then went, look, and the truth is, is that the quality of the information that you give, it doesn't have to be high level. You're not talking to your players or no. the coaches. You're talking to, to people that don't have a full understanding of the game. And that's not being disrespectful. And you know, I've heard media people say, look, I've been reporting on the game for 15, 20 years. Yeah. And I always feel like saying, yeah, I've been watching television for my whole <laughs> life and <laughs> I've got no idea how they work. So, um, but it's about being respectful and about giving, you know, Uh, responses that are. So
0: even do you think like if you sort of give an extra 10% than what you normally would, that's going to be reciprocated in turn by the journalist? Obviously, they're going to look at you in a different way and say, well, you know what? Um, I actually enjoy chatting to Matt Elliott because he's given me this level as opposed to the level below which we're sort of we were discussing before. So
1: as you know better than me, Ralph, nothing's permanent in the media. Everything's <laughs> temporary. So that that you can have that good relationship and that can change in a second for yeah. you know, you come off and you know with the time that coaches are quite often interviewed is where they're most emotionally charged. And if you know you gotta you gotta be in, in charge of that. So um, no, I, I just made it come – it's not so much the content. I just made it come from a different places rather than thinking to myself, that is the dumbest question I've ever heard, which is what I did earlier in my coaching career, just looked at people and go, oh, are you seriously <laughs> asking me that question? To, okay, that's what that person's getting paid to do, so answer it respectfully and get out of jail as soon as you can.
0: So when you're on the other side and when you're asking questions, given the fact that you've said there you – had to handle a whole lot of t- different questions, whether they be dumb, smarter, and different. Are you then looking at the way that you frame your questions to a coach or a, a player to to get the best out of them, or is it you hitting it from that coaching perspective, which would give listeners a different thought processing? Oh, yeah, that's an interesting question. I'd never thought of that kind of thing.
1: Well, look, coming from the coach's perspective – is a mindset I can't escape. because so I did it for 20 years. So that's the first thing. The other thing that, you know, I podcasts, I love podcasts. I listen to them all the time, but there's so many podcasts around that if someone is not good at asking questions, I just delete it. So I, I think a lot of people ask questions and answer it. Um, and it's not, if I'm asking a coach a question, it's not for me to let everyone else know that I actually know the answer to this question is to ask the question and get it out of the way. And I think that's a really difficult skill. When you, th- when you actually think you do know. Um, so I-, I think the most important thing is, is that, that whoever you're asking the question to, it's not your opinion of the question. It's their opinion of the question that matters. That's the whole reason for asking the question. So I really enjoyed. I would love to do more of it. You know, the interview side of things. Oh, that's the thing because I just love podcasts. I've just fallen in love with them, you know, just different areas from humor to, you know, personal development to other areas is that yeah you get a lot of opinions, and then you get to actually make some decisions around it.
0: The commentary part itself, the game moves at a frantic pace. You've got to come up with something that sounds intelligent or insightful in the space of a
1: as you say intelligent
0: <laughs> in the space of a few seconds um, because that's why people are tuning in. They're listening for your insights into the game, and then something else has happened in the interim, and then you've got to sort of backtrack and then come up with a new thought as. The next plays evolved. What was that like? Adjusting to when you're working with somebody like Andrew Moore, who has been calling the game for 20 25 years. How do you then bring yourself into to match that kind of energy and stuff like that?
1: Oh, at first, it was so awkward. But you know, Andrew was so good at his job that he made it easy as time goes on. And I, I think the other thing that I, I started to learn, and I, I got to say that Ray Warren helped me. So he, he grabbed me aside to mate, you're not talking to other coaches. You're talking to, you know, Julie and Peter that love watching football. So keep your comments at that level. Make them a little deeper, but keep it. So it was nice to know that Ray Warren listened to ABC <laughs> Radio. but um, And that relaxed me. And the other thing about it is footy has always been fun for me. Even the coaching when it was high-level stress, playing at the high, highest level, the thing that lit me up and, about the most about footy was the fun side of it. And I think that – and I, I talked to Bobcat and Dean about this, is, is that's something that our responsibility is to bring the real side of footy. That When you're in that NRL environment, like you're doing a lot of hard stuff and there's a lot – I would really loved it at some stage for people to understand the expectations and requirements on plays. It's not just about showing up and practicing. There's a whole lot of other stuff. But it's all got to – Fun permeates across the whole environment, and that that's what high-performing is. You go to any high-performing environment and fun has to be a part of it. Otherwise, it's not sustainable. So it's our duty to bring that fun to the commentary as well. And when we started to relax with that, that felt and got permission to do it, and Andrew was really good in allowing that, and I think that I probably did it in a little bit of a different way than he'd experienced <laughs> in the past, but I think that was the – I think that, that sort of rounded side of things is the most important.
0: I guess to sort of bring it back to radio terminology, it's all about, for the presentation of it all, it's all about light and shade. So what you said before, having that fun component added to the serious nature, which football can be at time. you know, if you want to sort of break it down and get into the, the nitty-gritty, but ultimately it's all about what we do on the radio is about entertainment and information, and it's something that you felt like, you were able to bring both elements to the table?
1: With some help from Andrew, again. I, you know, I, again, but after a while, yeah. Look, I did TV commentary during the World Cup, and wow, that is just a completely different medium because you're saying so, – because obviously you let the pictures tell the story because yep. there's pictures there. You can't have like 30 seconds of silence on the radio, can you? So <laughs> it, it was – I just thought it, would, you know, it wouldn't be a difficult – thing to transition to but I found it extremely challenging at first so it's you know when we talk about both those mediums it's really again it's not about the commentator it's about the game and helping whoever's listening or watching enjoy it the most and I think sometimes I hear commentators and I reckon I've been guilty of this at times where it's more about what you've got to say than those people enjoying it and enjoying the game so That's got to be the premise where everything comes from.
0: And the component of adding, I guess, the talkback element, so the ABC with its great reach around the country, you've got access to a whole lot of ears that you sitting there on a Sunday afternoon at Brookvale Oval probably cannot envisage where these people are picking up, whether they're driving down to the shops to to pick up some milk or whether they're in their back shed listening intently To me, as someone that's always loved radio and loved sport, that part of it just continues to blow my mind.
1: It's the most humbling, honestly. When you, you know, and and I always have fun with it, but you know, we've had people ring in at ten o'clock at night, sitting in a a harvester, you know. And these days, harvesters they're out at night, and it's all you know done through infrared or whatever, and they're sitting in the harvester listening to us. We've had people ring, and we we get a guy that you know, texts in from Saudi Arabia. We've had people ring us from all over the world as well as all over Australia. That, And I don't get it. You know, I'm there with you and Andrew and whoever else in a box. I actually still haven't quite worked out that we're talking to other people. And maybe that's part of what has helped that work and and seen things improve. But, yeah, that is definitely something that I just, when I hear that, even though we have fun with it, 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 it really humbles me.
0: When you started with ABC, you started off on the sideline. You also did one game in the final series this year, and I just noticed sitting next to you just how much you take everything in. So that's the crowd, that's watching the players close up. What's that perspective like?
1: You know, it's one of those things I really love being in the box, but I really miss being on the sideline. And it's almost it's almost like in 40 you know, centers are, are considered higher level than wingers, where in fact wingers do a lot more work. And mm. um, the sideline stuff, and even as a coach, I used to quite often, you know, sit the first half upstairs and go downstairs because you get a different perspective. You hear the communication. You hear what the contact, you know, sounds like rather than yeah. just watching it as an observer. Um, and... I love that sideline environment. I know I break the rules a little bit and walk around and talk to players on warm up bikes and things <laughs> like that. I, can you still play the new guy card after three years?
0: Oh, I think so. I think you've got that forever. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I just, I just,
1: I love that, that eye line level. And it gives you an insight of how the players see the game. And quite often, you know, when we watch footy and we go, oh, you know, from on TV or up in the stands, what are they looking at? Well, when you're at eye level, the game looks different. When you've got a hundred and, 20-kilo guy running it, the game looks very different, you know. So it does give that insight and there's more interaction on the sideline. It's fun.
0: Andrew Moore has described you as pleasantly weird. How would you describe him? Andrew,
1: Andrew Moore, how would I describe him? Um, Well, because I call him so many different names from Andy to Maury to the whole array of names, I would describe him in very, very, very different ways. But what I would say is, as far as the radio goes and what he's done for, you know, for me personally and for the people there is that I would describe him as someone who was very passionate about getting the content right for the people that are listening. There's no doubt about that. He's a good person. And yeah, so I think the combination of those things is a reason why I think that he's going to certainly be, you know, pushing forward in, in, in this area.
0: What are the more things that you think that when you turn up to work at a Brookvale Oval or at a a Sydney football stadium or wherever the case may be, what are the things that you look forward to the most before you turn up on a Sunday afternoon or a a Friday night to call a game?
1: I'm a footy nerd, so I want good games of footy. And, you know, you hear me talk about that quite often and you hear me about the structure of the season because I want the whole season to be good from a selfish point of view, but I want it to be good for fans. And I think that that's one of the challenges of the game at the moment. Because what these young men are doing on the field is ridiculous. But to ask them to do them for 26 rounds, we're going to not have a great season from our best players next year. I don't believe because so many of them just finished playing footy, you know.
0: So the recovery period hasn't been long enough. There'll be
1: a consequence at the back end of next year, not the front end of next year. So that, and that's coming from a scientific evidence based stuff that it's, you know, for those best players in our game, we're just asking so much of them. And we need to find a way to balance that better than we are at the moment. You know, the origin period, you know, they say they have split rounds and all that sort of stuff. When you look at the physical demands of origin, let alone the mental and the emotional demands of origin, um, one leading into it, am I going to get picked? And then leading out of it, yeah, or being just so bitterly disappointed that you could never explain it. It's It's having an impact on our season that, we need to manage in a better way,
0: so would you think, and you spoke about it earlier about people not having the perhaps intimate knowledge of the game that that you do that mental and emotional toll that it it takes on the players can be quite often overlooked by the fans and even obviously members of the media as well
1: yeah yeah and our fellow players and coaching staff and all that sort of stuff, so the thing that I'm very aware of is now a you know, I finished coaching in, in 2014. So actually my in-depth insight of the game lives there. This game progresses at light speed. You have to evolve continually. So I try and do my best to get around to some coaches that I know and, and to can try and keep myself reasonably current. But the truth is, is that you know, my full understanding of the game now is, is not full <laughs> to, to the level that that the coaches are so it is really important that we continue to acknowledge that that, that the game is pushing forward very quickly and the demands on the players and the, the coaches is changing very
0: much as well just on that what are the things that have evolved in those 3 years that you've been out of the the coaching that you thought geez i'd struggle with that or gee that's new um how did they come up with that what's what what are the ones that have you because you're looking through it through different eyes
1: yeah, I think the a few things that have have happened, and a lot of it is, you know, because of the science has now become available. And sometimes when you follow science, it means you're ten years behind because things aren't scientifically proved, you know, immediately. So that there's definitely the physical preparation and the lifestyle of players is certainly far better managed. Even in this short period of time, there's been a lot more awareness about it. So I did meditation with players in 2010, and that was spooky. And oh, what's going on? Most clubs do mindfulness now. Commonplace, yeah. As, as a, as a recovery modality. So that's one little indicator. You now the structure of the game and on the field and how they're actually doing stuff now is, is that the game goes in cycles from being super structured to a lot more ad lib. We're in a really lovely balance at the moment. Like if you look at Melbourne and you know, who were by far the best team last year, their ability to, to play what they see within their structure was you know, at, at the highest level I've ever seen. So the game will continue to evolve, depending on the ruck speed and depending on other other things that are evolve in the game. So I can observe that externally to actually come up with strategy internally to that. You know, I'd I'd love to do it again, but I, it would take you'd have to go down and really bet in and get some people of high level expertise around you. To, to, it'd be like you going away from media for three years and coming back and going, oh my God, what what's this? bit of kit so you know it's it's like any industry at the high level and high performance it evolves quickly.
0: With the development of that I mean how much of that can you afford to experiment with science and different theories and then also combine that with the tried and true of, of what you know so where does that all sort of sit in your mind as a as a coach or someone that's viewing coaches these days you sort of may think, oh, he's gone a little bit heavy on that or he hasn't sort of done that. Like, where does it all sort of sit and how much of a risk can you afford to take? Because a coach is always close to being exact.
1: Yeah, it's a really pertinent question of me because um, for two reasons. One, um, there's a couple of factors that dive into that, but I certainly got um, my attention diluted by science and the physical performance side of things. It's something that needs to be... Something that supports your coaching approach, something that is a resource to it, not drive it. You know, it's a subtle difference, isn't there? Yeah. And when you turn it around the other way, it, it certainly, you're forever not feeling comfortable about what you're doing. And that's certainly one of the things that I, I know, you know, diluted my approach as a coach at the back end. You know, the other thing as far as being innovative, if I look at Canberra and I, you know, when I look at my early times at Penrith, and I looked at the squads that we had. Well, we, we had to actually do something that was giving us advantage over other other rosters because our roster probably wasn't quite – had the same depth or at that same level. So you've got to come up with innovative stuff to compete. Mm. So it just depends. If you've got the best roster in the competition, well, you can probably afford to be a little bit more conservative mm. and allow them to be a bit more comfortable in, in their structures. So there is a bit of a balancing act. And I think, you know – now, Des Hasler would be a really great example of this is where he led the game for such a long time in on the science side of things and his application of it. But you've also then what you've got to do is recognize, okay, I've got to balance in a little bit more of the human side of it. And it's, it's, it's not a, it's, you can't stick with the one formula the whole time. Wayne Bennett's a really good example of it. He hasn't coached the same, he has the same fundamentals as does Craig Bellamy, but they know that they have to, They have to absorb everything to make it work.
0: From a consumption point of view, is there coaches or players that you really enjoy listening to from a media perspective when you interview them or when you see them interviewed and you kind of think that guy is at his peak and is able to communicate that really well as well?
1: I think some of it's about people you know and and respect. I, I could talk to Craig Bellamy for two days. I I, have a, I I catch up with Craig a little bit and and uh, and I find him just—he's a footy nerd like me. When, when you actually start, you know, I sort of disguise it a little bit better than him, but you know, he knows footy, he loves footy, and he's into the, you know, how you actually develop the culture around it as well as the structural side of it. So I find him you know really super interesting Trent Robinson I like you know I like his approach to the game cuz it's very holistic but I've got relationships with those guys already so you know I I don't know I don't I can't think of anyone who I don't really w- wouldn't really want to talk to I'd love to be able to sit down with all of them and and do this type of thing and then share it as well so just to get a really deep insight into you know their approach to life their approach to how they actually structure the footy team so you get to that level, you don't get there by accident or you don't stay there for long if you have.
0: We've touched on Andrew Moore, one of your or your co-commentator. I want to go through a few of the others in the commentary team. You've worked with Andrew Ryan for a few years now as well. As a guy who played for his state and played for his country, uh, captained a premiership winning side, to then put him into this media side of thing, much like yourself, he's got a different side of his personality that people may not have sort of seen out of him when he was w- was playing and has really adapted well to not only the sideline component of the commentary but also the co-commentary which he was allowed to do this year and the role that you play with the, the talkback callers and the, the analysis side of things. I mean, his, um, his development over the past three years has been quite extraordinary.
1: In short, he's really good at it, my belief is. um. And, again, a little bias because, you know, I love the guy. I think he's just such a good person. He's really, really a genuinely good person that cares about people in the game and obviously that's a big part of his role. Uh, Bobcat has developed that knack as well of of bringing the fun side as well as the…
0: You two together.
1: <laughs> it, it, is, it is fun. I, I, I really like… You know, being in that in that environment with him, because we do get to pick on Andrew Moore a little bit as well. But again, I, I you know I look at the success of other past players, and I think you know maybe Andrew's humility has Bobcat's humility has sort of held him back a little bit. But you know, again, I've watched him do TV commentary as well as listen to him on the ABC, particularly when he sits. You know, I, I listen. I don't tell anyone, but I listen <laughs> when I'm not in there on a Saturday. <laughs> He's, man, I, I really think he's really good at it. I really do.
0: And he's got the quirkiness that appeals to your quirky side as well. I think,
1: yeah, but I think we have a responsibility. You know, that, that's my humour. And I think, again, I think if you really want to give people an insight into what footy's about, you've got to bring humour. And, you know, when you're in a dressing room, that quirkiness, that sarcasm, that you know, forever taking the mickey is ever-present. And it's what makes that environment so much fun as well as so rewarding as well as if you're not lifting your weight, someone's going to let you know in that in that manner. So I think he does a perfect job of that.
0: One of the things that Dean Hallitower mentioned when I spoke to him was that the fact that you're not really considered part of the group unless someone's... You know, having a shot at you, or having a chip of it, yeah. and that's like the Australian way, or that's it's definitely the case in in team sports, isn't it? it? It's a way of, I guess, initiation, and 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 you feel as though you're you're a popular part of the the, the group if you if someone's ripping you a new one every second day. Yeah, and again, it's in not, a joyful way, not yeah, in a. It's you not know.
1: about taking down your personality, and the boundaries are really clear. You know, there's, there's places that you don't go and there's places that you do go. It's about having fun and getting a response rather than ripping into someone. It's about saying something to you so you respond. So we can have a little bit of, you know, fun banter around it because that little distraction before you're about to go on in the field and, you know, give every ounce of your energy is, is a really constructive way of you, you know, of directing your mind and also developing relationships. It's, it is something that I think as, as a, a country, at our best, that's how, that's how we actually build relationships and connection, not break them down. So, and you know, and Dean's really good at it as well. He, he's taken a little bit longer to, to bring the quirkiness on board because he's probably a little bit smarter than myself um, and Bobcat. But um, yeah, he's again, he's just insights into the game and he's, and he's understanding what you'll find with footy players that have played for a long time. If you play 10 years in rugby league and a lot of people will scoff at this. You've done a PhD, as far as I'm concerned, because you're in an environment where you have to perform at a high level every day. You're measured on that every day, not just on games. You're measured on it. You have to embrace new technology every year because there's something new coming your way every year. And I think Dean typifies it, is that when you see him in those corporate environments as well, you can just see that he is at that level.
0: Ruan Sims was someone that also was new this year as well, gave us a different perspective to to work to, but also a different perspective for the listeners. Now, when Andrew and I were talking about bringing her on board, we specifically didn't want someone that was just going to give the female point of view on the female game. We wanted someone that was able to give a a well-rounded approach. And I kind of Feel as though we achieved that with Ruan. I mean, the pedigree's there for all to see in terms of um, her family and, and everything like that and her own playing career. But just bringing it to a, a media sense where she was comfortable to be able to sit in the box, take the call, talk back callers, also sit on the sideline and provide game analysis you would have heard you would have only limit, limited had limited time in the commentary box with her but you would have listened a bit as you sort of secretly mentioned that you do listen on on Saturdays what are your impressions of Ruwan this year
1: a rare find a rare find um so again very articulate you know really deep understanding of the game when i say the game i'm not talking about the male or female game the game really you know really strong understanding certainly um strong opinions around that as well, I know that you know the couple of times I did work with rowan we didn't necessarily agree on anything, but how good's that mm. you know it's not about everyone being agreeing with you know certain executions or certain perceptions of the game um and when she just des- you know decides to hang up the boots i'm really excited for the for that you know that the game has been taken on in the n r l and we 're going to see this on a weekly basis uh the the actual progression of women's rugby league as far as skill set goes and as far as physicality in the last five years. So again, talking about the game, I'm not talking about gender. I'm talking about the level of execution. Mind blowing. The improvement, absolutely mind blowing. I I what the what the girls are doing now is is not five years in front of what they did five years ago. It's it's fifteen years. The progression made is, it's got to go to credit to the, whoever's coaching and coordinating that and to those athletes because I, I, I really cannot believe the quality of the game.
0: We called the women's origin game in Wollongong this year. Was that another eye opener in terms of all of that for you in seeing that up close? It's, It's probably four or five. Years that we've seen that gradual progression, but I felt this year, and obviously with the implementation of, of what's going to happen next year, I think just finally the recognition is 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 there. Yeah,
1: I don't think the progression's gradual. I really don't. I think it's exponential, and again, it's just about providing people people with op- with opportunity, you know. And as a um, I got four daughters, so I'm a netball dad, mm-hmm. so I know the, the the level of execution and skill, you know that that is prevalent when when taught and what we've seen that is is that that those people have been, people playing the game in the women's game have embraced that and they have obviously been very focused to take it to the highest level they can straight away because it, it's it's really high level skill we've seen and that state of origin game that you talked about in Wollongong whew, that wasn't just high level skill that was really really physical game as well
0: What do you enjoy most about this side of things, the commentary side? You provide some analysis on the NRL website. You also do um, some bits for Fox Sports, and as you mentioned, you were involved as a a commentator for for the World Cup. What is it that that you like best about being on this side?
1: Easy, easy, going to the game. Yeah, I I mean, the amount of preparation that you have to do prior to this, nothing like being a coach, but just going to the game and – Again, witnessing what happens on the field. Again, footy nerd, self-confessed footy nerd. And also, I know I harp on about it. I like being at games where there's a lot of people spectating because I think that that also elevates, like when you're a player, you like having lots of people there watching you play. It it just elevates the atmosphere and the the whole vibe around it. So I,
0: I just love going to the game. If you were to change one thing about the game at the moment, what would that be?
1: Wow, that's a tough question, Ralph. One thing about the game. Yeah, I, I just think that the, the one thing that I've always been consistent with is, is that I think that we, we don't acknowledge the player enough. Now, we acknowledge the superstar, but we don't acknowledge the person walking around in that superstar body or, or whatever. That It's just the demands on these young guys at the moment, I don't think anyone really fully appreciates i uh, accept people inside that and I'm not you know trying to get they they lead a life that it's just when you're inside it, it's the best thing ever but we need to you know we need to have an understanding that for them to perform at that level there needs to be as i said earlier you know some adjustments made to the you know to the way that we set up the season the you know the draw the schedule and all that sort of stuff so we continue to see the game improve at, at a level that we want it to
0: you touched on an area there before about player uh, I guess, welfare or player education and the fact that in a 10-year career, they complete a PhD. Um, it's something that you mentioned earlier on the year and I. it took me a while to sort of get what you were saying. But then once I sort of thought about it for a while, I was made on board with that that sort of thing. Just having seen and spoken to, to Dean and Bob Cat about what they'd sort of done throughout their career. and I mean, people sort of dismiss it as, you know, they're playing footy every week. But as you said, the, the education that they receive through that in terms of nutrition, all of the things, the modern day things that are, that are coming into play now, like you mentioned, um, in terms of like headspace and wellbeing and all of those things, for a player to, to do that, they come out of the sport that they've done probably at a at a, at a higher level than, than some other ple- uh, people that had sort of um, done degrees in, in, in different things. And uh, it's probably something that um, as Dean sort of said, that players don't actually even recognise themselves.
1: No, we we live in a stereotype. I'll say that we, because I've I've been there, even as a coach, come out and as much as you, this is what I do, not who I am. The stereotype exists around rugby league. <laughs> okay, and I don't even have to explain it. No, the stereotype <clears throat> exists around that. But if you look at someone like Dean and Bobcat, let's use them as an example. What a wonderful resource they are to the community if we decided to tap into it. I'm not just talking about the rugby league community. I'm talking about the community. If they were put in a position where they could, you know, talk to people in either in community, other communities or in business, you know, businesses or corporate organizations, they have a lot of value in, in, in what they've experienced, but also what they can teach people. Cause you have to learn. You can't teach someone unless you've learned how to learn. If you're in an NRL environment for that long, you have to learn. If you don't learn, you don't get better, and if you don't get better, you're gonsky. So that, and on honestly, the, the amount of classroom time that players do and the amount of homework they have to do, people I don't think are fully
0: aware of. Stepping into a, a corporate environment after a 10-year or 15-year NRL career, having learnt what you've learnt, even something as simple as most players, they step in as an 18, 19, 20-year-old, having to deal with the media, it's, it's it's what they have to do on a weekly basis, but that allows you to improve your communication skills, not only the communication skills that you have to develop as a player on the field because that's paramount in any team, but to be able to present yourself in an environment where you're able to speak to kids or you're able to speak to leaders of industry, it's a huge thing that people. some people even struggle with, 12 years, 15 years into a corporate career, which you would have seen, um, in more recent times in the work that you do.
1: Most of it. Let's take a, let's use an example. Let's tell a story. And, you know, it's probably a well known story as far as profile goes, but look at Jonathan Thurston. Okay. When he first came into rugby league and his media stuff, when he was interviewed, you wouldn't say he, you know, he was, you know, someone that really engaged with people.
0: Um, shy kid. You yeah, know, yeah. Um, had, had trouble expressing what it was that he was trying to say. Fast
1: forward. So let's have a look at him in that respect, a communicator. Let's have a look at him as a player. Like I remember when he left the Bulldogs, you know, they weren't even offering him 200000 so that and we weren't sure about that. And have a look at him as a person. You know, he had some challenges early on. Go now. So, look, they're just analogies. It's not just that he's not just improved as a person a communicator and a player. There's other things he's improved in. I guarantee it to you. You know, he's understanding of science, blah, blah, blah. There's a whole yeah. thing. There's a whole array of things that he's improved in. Now, he's a obviously a very, you know, high-profile example, but there's so many people that r- run the same, exa- you know, really because you don't have any choice. You have to talk to the media. So guess what? You need to get better at it. Yeah. You have to, you know, embrace science because guess what? They are putting, you know, GPS on you, they are going to do bloods on you, they are going to make you do all this stuff on apps as far as your well-being goes. You you are going to be assessed as far as performance goes on every training session, you know, and statistically, scientifically and anecdotally by coaches and as well as your play. That's the environment you're in. So if you don't get better at it and you don't embrace it, you don't survive.
0: Another element of that also is the fact that players – are constantly given feedback all the time. It's something that doesn't necessarily happen in a corporate environment. So players are are wanting that, are demanding that when they step out of football that they may sort of not get. So there's obviously a a challenge there because they're, they're used to, I guess, giving feedback to their peers and also receiving it.
1: I don't know one player that's come out of a playing career. Not one. So I've been around a while. I've had, I've got friends that have gone on to be highly successful in the corporate area or in the business area at the highest level. I don't know one person that has come out of the rugby league area after being in there for a, you know, for a sustained period that hasn't experienced challenges in going from one to the other. It's just the hardest environment. You can't replicate it and you've got to actually come to terms with that. You know, as a coach, I went to, I went to work with 30 people that wanted to get better every day, young men that wanted to get better every day, and if they didn't, they didn't survive. You know, I had coaching staff that was committed to making that happen and, you know, a lot of friendships and all that banter that we talked about. You can't replicate – it's very hard to replicate that environment anywhere else. You can't do what players do on the field in the corridors of Woolies. (laughs) It's it's a (laughs) no-no, even though some may have tried that in the past. So, you know, it's – it's, it's such a special environment. It's so hard. I've tried to explain it before, but I can't. So it, it is a major challenge, and it's something that, that rather than telling people, you know, it's okay to feel bad. you just got to understand why you feel bad, and you got to understand it's not okay to stay that way. Yeah, but you're going to. <laughs> you know, like if, you know, an extreme example, this is not a – I'm not doing an analogy here, but if someone close to you passes – you're not supposed to feel good. No. Yeah. So when you come out of that environment, you've been blessed to be in it. It's, it's a peak experience. It's a peak experience because it's at the top of, you know, it's not the only peak experience you need to have, but it's, you know, coming out of it, it hurts. It hurts and it hurts everyone.
0: One of the great things that I know you enjoy most with this media stuff that you do is talking to players that you've coached that have also now become mates. yeah, That becomes a real buzz for you, I guess first of all, watching them on the field and then also I guess there, there's a satisfaction in terms of okay, watching them develop personally as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, the, and that's again, that's the great thing about footies is that you develop connections at a higher level because you have to because you know, you're dealing, you know, like a lot of those players or all of those players I would have dealt with some gnarly stuff with them as far as performance feedback goes and when you do that over a sustained period, you know, it, it, it doesn't break the relationship down necessarily as if you do it right. It actually builds a relationship where there's a lot of trust and a lot of understanding and then ultimately more times in reflection rather than real time they can look back and go, well, hey, he actually helped me get better through that process. And they don't necessarily, when you're giving people bad news at the time, they don't necessarily see it as that way.
0: We've mentioned your corporate work a few times what was that transition like to go from elite coach to, geez, I've got to find another career combined with the, the media stuff that you do, obviously, during the the week is spending a lot of time with people and talking about the high performance we've sort of yep. uh, discussed earlier. What what was that like for you to sort of step out of one environment into a completely foreign one?
1: I wish I had an answer for that, Ralph. <laughs> I don't know. Um And you know, I wish I could say, look, what I've done is I've really pulled myself, you know, away from coaching, and I looked at exactly what I wanted to do next. Didn't happen that way. The the truth is, is that the way I exited my last couple of jobs it would probably meant a couple of things. Is that head coaching jobs would would have been very difficult for me to secure. If someone came and offered me one tomorrow, I'd say yes. But the truth is, is that you know, externally it looked like I got the punt from two jobs. Um, and if I was a CEO, I probably wouldn't be the first person to do that for that. You know, the, the weird thing is being out of coaching for so, so long and working in leadership and culture development is that I actually have a better understanding of what I did right and what I did wrong. So,
0: um, so would you be a better coach now?
1: Oh, definitely. But I'd need to get coached up again.
0: Yeah. So, so that. Also, would you want to take that on? You mentioned that given the, the the stress that you mentioned earlier, and you know, it's a combination of, of fun, but there's also there's that high demand on your time and your focus to be the best coach that you can be. That
1: that's not a stress. That's a, that's a challenge that you want to step into, and you know, is is an exceptional thing. But you know, done, what it has done is that you need to deal with reality, and I'm I'm not afraid of reality, and that. You need to work out what it is that you can do to to deliver. You know, that you talked about ex players. The thing that I that really lit me up most as a coach is helping people get better. And I wanted to find another opportunity to do that in in other areas. Now, if you ask me, do you love it as much as coaching, I would be lying to you if I said yeah, I do. But I do know that after the period of time I've actually made a lot of really positive differences to organizations and to people. And that's something that And I'm not, that's really weird to say that. I hear myself say that, but that's something I really, you know, one brings me a a huge amount of satisfaction and joy and something I'm proud of.
0: I came to you earlier this year when I had my own sort of personal challenges in terms of I didn't know how I was going to work out what I was going to do this year, how everything was going to fit. We had another child on the way. The ABC stuff was demanding. There's two or three other contracts that I had. Coming to talk to you pretty much put it in a a crystallized form for me in terms of, okay, I've just got to be able to work out where I can commit the time and also invest the time in what I enjoy doing. And then everything will sort of fall into place. And you gave me a couple of great books to read and different things, which turned my mind in terms of, okay, well, why can't I actually do that? Is that something that you obviously get a, a reward out of whether you're talking to me at a coffee shop, or whether you're talking to leading CEOs, or whether you're talking to ex-players,
1: or groups of people, yeah, in a corporate environment, you know. What you, and the, this is the thing we go back to the conversation we had before. I did that every day as a head coach. You have to do that every day as a head coach because the truth is, is that if you've got a squad, you know, of, and if you looked at players that were on second tier that decided to train full time, you've got thirty five people. Well, thirty five doesn't go into seventeen. So giving bad news out pretty regularly. I used to hate Tuesdays because yeah. Tuesdays was when you, yeah, it was bad news day. You had to drop someone. Yeah. When the player knew when, have you got a minute, mate? Let's go for a stroll. They knew what was coming. So it's not something that's enjoyable. And then there's the other one where, mate, you should look for an opportunity elsewhere a conversation that you need to have. So at first I, that for me had to be a conflict. And as I got a little bit older and wiser, I really understood that. Well, this is something that can help the guy. He's not going to actually understand that now. So you we needed to put in. So you, using that context all the time that you discussed yeah. and the challenges that you were having as to, to find a, the best direction for you and how you actually do that, is, is that you're actually continually doing. That. That's what you know. that Basically, I go into boardrooms. I hear people. I'll, I'll sit for thirty minutes and say nothing in a board meeting, and then all of a sudden go, "What are you people up to? My goodness, what are you talking about?" <laughs> because you have to be direct in a, in an environment where you you've got to perform next week. You don't have you know, you don't have a month to sit back and let's do a performance evaluation.
0: Yeah, or you know, perform quarterly or you know, yeah. half half yearly or whatever.
1: So that type of immediacy one teaches you you have to learn and the other thing is is that it gives you the opportunity to teach other people. So I think that Really, the the basis of everything that I share, I obviously got a few different belief systems around you know, how we operate as a species, and a few different belief systems on on how we should develop in those areas. But then, you know, it, really, the the premise of everything that I do is based on the high performance model that I learned through rugby league.
0: Play welfare, as we've touched on, is it is something that you're very passionate about. Recognising that players do have those transferable skills when they eventually get out of the game. It's something that you kind of witnessed firsthand when you stopped coaching and moved into that corporate area. I mean, how difficult is it to get the message through to the players that they are of some value to any organisation that they that they choose to um, partake in in the, in the future?
1: Yeah, it's one of the things that I, I I get a little bit frustrated with. I really want to say I admire the approach that the NRL takes. I think that the the amount of resources they're putting into this area are, are, is super admirable. You know, it's probably from a, from a coaching perspective, I think they could do it a little better. You know, they could execute it a little better. First of all, what players need to be taught is what rugby league, if you've been a 10 year player, this is the skill set you've got. Now I'm doing this a little bit in other professions that are transferring mm-hmm. out. These are the things that you've actually already got what rugby leagues taught you. I know you need a plan B and you should be, you know, you need to, Train yourself up, but you also need to understand that while you're in this environment, these are the things that you are learning and they're transferable if you want to run your own business. So the discipline and the punctuality and the need learning and all that stuff, does that help you become a business owner? Does it help you become, you know, an executive? Does it help you become, you know, a tradesman? All those answers to it are yes. You just need to actually draw the line between the two. I think we need to do a better job of that most definitely. And also making players understand, like you're coming out of this environment, there is going to be a period if you fall into the category of 90% of players that this is challenging.
0: It's yeah. not going to match what you had for 15 years with 30 of your best mates every yeah.
1: day. Yeah, I, I, I heard Matt Shervington talk about this and he you know, did a really good job about people who climb Everest to the top of Everest. They don't only plan how to get to the top. They plan what happens when they get down. Well, you got to plan a descent as well, <laughs> because if you don't, you're in a fair bit of trouble. And I think that that you know, I, I sat there and listened to him talk, I went, "That is a really great analogy." And that's a little bit like in rugby league, you climb to the peak. Well, you got to climb back off it and know that it's going to be a, that's going to be tough, so you can find your next peak. And it you know, doesn't need to be the peak of your life. It just needs to be one of the peaks of your life. You know, it definitely is. But, you know, it's just, again, I am really feel that we could just cover a few areas about this is what, if you've been in the footy environment, this is the, the skills that are transferable into all these other uh, options for you after when you finish playing.
0: We talked earlier about my situation and belief. Like, is that something that you, it's difficult for players to understand, to have that belief in themselves that they are not just footy players? Your beliefs aren't are fixed
1: things. You know, I always use the example that the whole planet believed the earth was flat once. You know, beliefs are, you know, again, you may not have believed that you were capable of doing this thing, but you actually reframe it and you, you look at it differently. And you go, oh, oh, hang on. Actually, I was, I was wrong there. That belief was flawed. So it's a little bit like footy players during it. Is it all just the simple thing is, Hey guys, you need to know, even if you don't choose, to do any other education, which we really believe you should because it's good for your footy because you learn to learn and that's going to help you get, become a better player, but it's also going to help you after footy. But this is what you're going to learn from being in this environment. And I can tell you that, you know, th- this is transferable into life after footy. So you need to be con- And if once you become conscious of it, guess what? Just, just like you, we went, you, it wasn't as though I told you something you didn't know. No. <laughs> I didn't tell you, mate, actually the earth is actually round, not flat. You actually knew everything that we discussed. But it just you reframed it and went, oh, okay, that actually is achievable.
0: Well, what would your advice be for players who are looking to do what you've done in terms of media? There's not many jobs out there for, for players that want to pursue that kind of thing, and it's a different skill in itself to actually deliver that. What would you say to players that are thinking about Doing that kind of thing, if they've got like a natural flair for doing, uh, commentary or, or being part of, 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 the media.
1: Well, what we, you know, obviously, if we look at Bobcat and Dean and myself, what we do is we bring the footy side of it. And I think ultimately, you now the improvement that I've seen in Dean and, and, and Bobcat is, is that when the real Bobcat and Halla show up, as well as that, because they've got all that expertise and understanding of the game, that's when I'm most riveted. When we first start doing it, we're trying to do all the technical stuff right. So you sound a little bit, you know, inauthentic. So I, I think that ultimately, if you want to have a job in the media, you've got to be, it's got to be something that you feel really comfortable with, and you got to
0: if you don't if you're not real, ultimately people sniff that out. You get found out. The bullshit radar is pretty um high yeah. on most people who are over the spot of fake.
1: Yeah, and i you know. I think everyone's patient enough. I don't think I've seen anyone go straight into the media coming out a player and get it, you know, get it totally right across all the, the guys that are doing it. It takes a while for sure, but, you know, when the real you shows up and you feel comfortable that, well, i got a good understanding of the game of being, you know, Dean and, and Bobcat, you know, both bikes who played over 10 years of footy, they know their stuff. There's absolutely no doubt that they know their stuff. But, so, and when they're, they're, and there's so much fun to work with when the real them shows up.
0: Was it difficult being critical of players or coaches or yes. administrations yes. to do that kind of stuff? Yes. Um, knowing full well that, you know, while we've employed you to provide analysis on specific games, there's going to be issues from time to time that crop up that require you to express your real opinion as opposed to sugarcoating it, which you may want to, want to do because you don't want to offend anyone.
1: Yeah. And as someone who's super defensive about players, as you already know, and, and about the game and the stereotypes around it, that has been challenging. But, you know, again, you know, our peak body, you know, is, is something that, I, again, I really admire what they've done and, and where the game's going, but that, you know, unless you have that type of feedback, that real feedback, you don't external from the organization, you don't really get to know it. So you got to take that responsibility on a little bit like me saying, in the past, this is how journo's feed their kids. It's it's a little bit like making them understand look, this is a these are real opinions, and and you can either dismiss it or not. That's fine, but you've got to absorb that opinion.
0: Would you also be a different coach this time around if you had another crack at it in terms of your players with the the media having experienced, I guess, some of the difficulties we've had in China. Get players or coaches not allowing certain players three, four days out from a, a major game, or do you still sit conservatively on the the coach side because you understand that side better than what you do the media side?
1: I sit conservatively on the coaches' side because they're allowed to do it. But let's take the NFL for example. Is, is that's the environment that's been set up? The players are accessible, so. There's no thought about it. If you look, if you, you put me as a coach and you, and you allow me not to do it, I'm going to not to not do it. It's nothing. People look at the coach or the club wrong. It's not the coach or the club. It's the structure above that that needs to go. (laughs) No, no, this is what being in the NRL competition. This is the amount of accessibility that is going to happen. And this is, and what happens if that's the expectation and they're the rules, guess what? Just like the rules on the toe field, the line. you you toe the line or you you pay the penalty. So you know if you're going to wrestle like you used to ten years ago, you're going to get penalised all game. It's the same here. Is is that it's nothing to do with the coach. It's nothing to do with the club. Some are better than others. I in the in the current environment, but don't give people that opportunity.
0: Matt Elliott, thanks very much for your time. Ralph,
1: it's just been
0: so much fun. I really want that t-shirt too. <laughs> <laughs> There he is, Matthew Elliott. You really did enjoy the shirt that I came casually dressed in the other day. If you really enjoyed my chat today with Matt, you can catch him on Twitter. He's at Matthew underscore M James. I'm not sure what all of that is about, but check him out on Twitter. You can also check us out on Twitter at MediaMatesAU. There's also the Facebook page, and if you can drop by Apple Podcasts and leave us a review or rating, that'll really help other people find the show. Until next time, I'm Ralph Tucker, and this has been the MediaMates Podcast. Media Mates Podcast.